wonderful thing to um, have control in our life by the Holy Spirit, whether it's our behavior or our finances. So I'm actually looking forward to going. All right, we are in Exodus chapter 18. <clears throat> you know, as we um, <clears throat> study this portion in Exodus 18, we're picking up with verse 13. In um, order to fully understand it, we have to realize that this is given to us in the context or under the context of the law, the old covenant. And we have to receive it and run it through the filter of the new covenant. And I'll try to do that a little bit as we go through it. But the things we read under the Old Covenant are not to be thrown away or discarded or, you know, to feel like it has no importance to us. It does have an importance. The Old Covenant lays out perfection. New Covenant gives us the ability to be able to strive towards that perfection. And so as we look at this portion, we need to make sure that we have that attitude and state of mind. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word and the way it's able to speak to us and encourage us. And I ask as we cover this portion of Scripture, you would use it to show us how to more, better serve our, man, our fellow man and to serve you most of all, Lord. And I pray those areas that need to be changed in our life by your Holy Spirit, they'd be changed. Those areas that need to be strengthened by your Holy Spirit, they'd be strengthened. And, Lord, those areas of our life that need to be removed by your Holy Spirit, you'd remove them. And so now come in all of your glory, in all of your love, and in all of your peace, and minister your word to us. And I pray that you would prepare prepare each heart who's here. And I ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Okay, Exodus 18, picking up with verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses, notice he sat to judge the people. You have to remember how old he is at this time. He's probably close to 100. And uh, sat uh, to judge the people. And the people stood (laughs) um, before Moses from morning till evening. So when Moses' father-in-law, that's Jethro, remember last week he came to talk to Moses. Uh, Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people. He said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And you know, one of the things that we're going to find out as we go through this is that what Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is encouraging him to do is that when people come to him to inquire of the Lord, he should be challenging challenging them to go to the Lord rather than coming to him. You know, like as a pastor, there's so many times that uh, over the years that I've had people call me or come in to see me and say, hey, pastor, what what do you think I should do about this or that situation? Or how do you think I should do this? Or how do you think I should do that? And the one thing I found is whenever I give my advice, it's the wrong advice. But if I tell the people, go to the Word. What does the Word of God say? they're always going to get the right advice because God is omnipotent, omniscient. He knows all and he knows what to do. And so therefore, if we go to the Lord, he's going to give us the direction we need in order to handle our situations. Okay, verse 16. 
And Jethro goes on talking to Moses, and he says, When they have a, a difficulty, or Moses is saying, When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge them uh, uh, between one another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. That's the one thing he's doing right here. He makes known you know, the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel. And God, and it's, you know, he's capital G there. He's talking about the Lord. God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men. And we're going to find a a portion in the New Testament that's similar to this. When the work gets too heavy uh, for the apostles, they needed to choose other people to help out. Such as fear, fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all the people will arise, uh, will also go uh, to their place in peace. Now, it's interesting here. <clears throat> he says, if you do this thing, and God commands you. So, in other words, Jethro is laying this out. But he says, ultimately, it has to be the Lord who commands you to do it. Don't be doing this just because I say so. I'm laying out what I think is, is good advice from the Lord, but you have to be the one that makes the choice whether to follow it or not. And one of the things that we need to know about Moses right from the beginning is the kind of man that he is. And if you want to go to Numbers, we're in Exodus. What's next? Leviticus and Numbers. Go to Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. Numbers 12 and verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble. Listen to this. More than all men who are on the face of the earth. So when we look at Moses, he was humble. More humble than any man in the face of the earth. And of course there are a couple lessons we can learn from that. Number one, humility is necessary to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Humility is necessary in following the Lord. But in the same hand, we also know, and I love that God does not remove the, the, the mistakes that men make in Scripture. And we find that Moses made mistakes. He did things that were wrong, like in the striking of the rock and so forth. You know, he interjected himself rather than giving all the glory to God. He struck the rock when the Lord told him to speak over it. So even those humble men who love the Lord can make mistakes. But overall, a humble man is going to hear the direction of God. He might make a little mistake in this application and that application. But as far as the mission is concerned, he hears the voice of the Lord. And so Moses realizes that what his father-in-law Jethro is telling him is good. And so he takes his advice. 
See, it's one thing to hear good advice, and it's another thing to apply it. You know what I'm saying? It really is. Like, we can go to the financial peace seminar and really learn how to handle our money, and then uh, all of a sudden we have a temptation to, you know, spend our money in this or spend our money in that, and we say, well, we can just do it this one time, you know. And so it's important to know what we should do and then to do it. Now, Moses, just, just simply judging the people, judging between the people, that's like legalism. You know, people who fall under a works legalistic kind of theology oftentimes are very miserable and they're very unhappy because they're always trying to live up to something they're incapable of. If you're going to be a, a really good Christian, I'm going to lay out for you 426 laws that you need to obey. And you're not going to be able to obey them. In fact, the people who are laying out the laws can't obey them. Isn't that what Jesus said about the Pharisees? You Pharisees, you lay burdens on the people that you yourselves are not able to carry. And so we realize then that it's not a matter of just laying laws out to people. It's a matter of teaching people. It's a matter of encouraging people in order for them to come into a right, obedient relationship, relationship with the Lord. And, um, you know, think about marriage. And those of you who are married know what I'm talking about. Those of you that will be getting married someday in the near future or the future, um, marriage is a working relationship. And I always tell, and you've heard me say this before, you know in the fairy tales when it says, and they got married and they lived happily ever after. That's a fairy tale. <laughs> it's in a fairy tale. The reality is you get married and you work at it. And it can be hard work because I think, and, and uh, you know, he was kind of joking about women have this extra organ, but the reality is men and women are different, not just in the normal, you know, the obvious anatomical differences we're talking about. There are things in temperament and, and the way women see and view things that are different than the way men see and view things. Now, the thing is, if the man just wants to snuff out the woman, I'm the boss, I'm the head of the family, the Bible says you're going to obey me as I am Lord of you, you know, kind of thing, then all the valuable information and contribution that the woman has to make is completely snuffed out. In the same hand, if you have a woman who's one of those domineering, you know, kind of woman, I'm taking charge, you know, and I'm going to, and if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to make life miserable for you, you've got the same problem. The reality is, is to come to a place where you appreciate one another's strengths and help and encourage in one another's weaknesses. And then it's a working relationship. And the same thing is true. When we come to the Lord, His law is perfect. His law is absolutely perfect in every way. But that law is given to a very imperfect people. I mean, I'm not trying to put you down. I'm imperfect. The reality is there's only one who ever walked this terrestrial ball and never committed any sin at all. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that's not you. And it's not me. So therefore, we fall to error and we fall to mistakes. And that's why grace and mercy is so important. But grace and mercy is also the applicator that we need to use when we are not only teaching but learning. I mean, we're learning the things of God 
But then we have to learn how to apply them in our lives. There's learning and then there's application. And in our application, we're going to strive for perfection. And the grace and mercy of God is going to help us through our imperfection. For instance, you don't have some um, ball player walk up to bat and say, you know what, if I'm batting 50%, getting on base 50% of the time, that's considered a 500 batting average, and that's real high. So when I get up to bat, I'm going to plan on missing 50% of the time. When he gets up to bat, he plans on hitting what percent of time? 100%. But he hits 50% of the time, and God's grace says, you know what, that's really good. It's a good batting average. And so the same thing is true in our walk with the Lord. Our desire should be for perfection. But his grace and mercy covers us in our imperfection. And um, also we have to notice right off, Moses actually thought he was doing the right thing. And standing there all day before the people. You have to remember the size of this group. It's about 2 million people. And so when these people were coming to him day and night, I mean, that would have gone on and on and on and on. And you understand what happened. He would have been tired out. The people would have been tired out, just like his father-in-law Jethro said. And so he's saying you need to put others, you know, in place. But then if you notice, he also said teach the people which is related more to what we call the new covenant. You need to teach the people in order to do the right things. So rather than standing there in judgment, telling them what they're doing wrong and who's doing what right, you need to teach them what the Word of God says about doing right and doing wrong. You know, sometimes uh, new believers, they'll come to a place where... um, they're looking for other people's personal opinion. New believers, they're looking for other people's advice and direction. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if you're going to a mature Christian in the fellowship who you know knows the Word of God. And that mature Christian you're going to is directing you to the Word of God, then that can be a good thing. But we need to come on to a place of maturity where we're able to dig into the Word of God ourselves. And find the answers. Because as I said, I mean, if I give you my opinion, just my opinion, it can be wrong. Maybe dead wrong. Maybe cause more problems than good. But if I share with you simply what the Word of God says and say, now you've got to make a choice. A lot of people have a hard time with that, you know. There are some people who become believers and they want to be led by the hand their whole walk. Tell me to do this. Tell me to do that. Tell me what to do and not to do, rather than just loving Jesus. You know, um, Vi and I and Frank and Nikki, we went to the Paul Beloche concert at North Syracuse Baptist um, Friday night, which was, it was great. It was great. So I, it was more like a worship service than it was a concert. And it was so interesting to me because you're in this huge auditorium. In fact, when I went into their men's room, it was as big as our whole auditorium here. And... Um, but you go into this huge auditorium. I mean, it's huge. All kinds of people. And when we're in there worshiping, you, there's so many different groups there. 
you know, you, you have the Baptists because they're wearing suit and ties, you know, they're Baptists. And then you have um, the Charismatics, you know, they're all over the place and wearing, you know, tank tops. And <laughs> Then you have the Pentecostals, they're kind of a mix. They dress nice, but they are pretty expressive in worship. And, and uh, you have all different kinds of people. But the thing is, they're worshiping the same God. And they love Jesus as much as the other group loves Jesus. And so the idea of trying to say, well, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. Well, I, I can't enjoy this because of that charismatic group over there or that Pentecostal group or that Baptist group. I can't enjoy it. Well, the reality is then that's our problem. Because God works in different people in different ways. Now, he never goes against his word. If people are worshiping in such a way that it's contrary to the word of God, then it's wrong. But if they just have their way of expression, that's fine. You know, like charismatics are, you know, when they're worshiping the Lord. And Pentecostals are when they're worshiping the Lord. And Baptists are... When they're, when they're worshiping. But they're worshiping. And they really love Jesus. And so we have to understand that God works with us in different ways. And so it's very important for us not to try to put our opinion on people, but to lay the word of God on them, that they understand what his word says, not what we think it should be. And um, I love what it tells us in Acts, if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 6. See, God's word has to be the supreme authority in our life. As far as determining right and wrong. Don't you agree? It has to be the supreme authority. So in Acts chapter 6, go to verse 2. And this is what I was talking about. I said when uh, Jethro was telling Moses to choose men to help out, it reminded me of this portion in Acts. And the apostles were so busy. And understand when it talks about waiting on tables... It doesn't mean the apostles had a, uh, you know, a white towel over their arms and they were going around, yes, could I take your order, please? Waiting on tables was uh, an analogy of taking care of the needs of the people, you know, taking care of all the needs of the people. And they were getting tired out doing it. And so in Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 2, then the twelve summoned the multitude, that's the whole bunch of believers, and that was a, a big group, of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, what a great, you know, correlation this is to what Jethro was trying to tell Moses. What Jethro was telling Moses was in relationship to the Old Covenant. And what the, uh, the apostles are talking to the people about and choosing ones to help is in relationship to the New Covenant. Because the pastor's responsibility is to not make sure that the people in his flock do what is right. The pastor's responsibility is to teach the people in his flock what is right. And there's a difference. 
Because if a pastor gets into that kind of a legalistic position where he's calling people out from the pulpit and, and he's saying, you, you know, and, and just telling people, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, rather than just explaining, this is the right thing. This is what we should be doing. And hopefully, you know, the pastors in this church and, and all good pastors, as they're uh, expounding on the Word of God. I mean, we do expository preaching here from Genesis to Revelation. When we're going through it, we're trying to show you application so that you can, on your own, choose to follow the ways of God and to do the things God has called you to do. And um, the guidance that we need after learning the Word of God, the truth of God, is the Holy Spirit. I think so often we forget the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're amazed that the children of Israel missed the first coming to earth of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. They missed it. All the scriptures were there. All the prophecies were there. But they missed it because they, have allowed, they allowed their relationship with God to turn into a religion and into a doctrinal, you know, uh, position. And so that didn't agree really with the Word of God. So when Jesus came, they didn't know it. They missed it. Well, we have to understand that Jesus also made a promise. He said when he went to be with the Father, he was going to send us another counselor, the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, is God. He is just as much God and just as much in power as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He, the Holy Spirit, comes not only to indwell us because we are born again by the Spirit. So when you're born again, understand when you're born again, the only way you can be born again is when you confess your sin and you ask Jesus Christ to come and take over your life and He comes into the, the Greek word is cardiac, what we get the word cardiac from, into your heart, into your inner man. I mean, the Holy Spirit's dwelling there. And that's the reason as believers, sometimes you'll do something and, man, you don't feel right about it. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you're going in this direction and you just don't feel right about it. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And so the Holy Spirit's purpose is to guide and direct us, not testifying of himself, Scripture says, but testifying of Jesus. Look what Jesus did for you and giving us guidance of how to walk in this life. You know, if we walk by the Spirit, we'll fulfill the desires of God. If we walk by the flesh, we're going to fulfill only the, the desires of the flesh. And so we need to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you know, if I personally, if me, if I personally took the responsibility to make sure that all of you did the right thing, I'll tell you what, we'd have a mess. Because number one, I couldn't keep up with everyone. And number two, I'd be giving a lot of wrong advice. And number three, my pride would also come in. And then if you didn't do what I told you to do, I'd get angry. So every negative thing that could possibly happen would if I was taking that responsibility on myself. But we have to understand, we need to allow the Spirit, He who never slumbers or sleeps, to be the one who guides us. In Psalm 121, verse 4, it says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never slumber nor sleep. Now, remember the word Israel, Israel, what it means is belonging to God. El is God, belonging to God. That's all Israel means. 
And so there is the nation Israel, but all of us are Israelites by adoption, Scripture tells us. We belong to God. And so if we belong to God, we need to be led by the Lord, led by His Holy Spirit and not the ways of men. You know, I think about the whole political situation and how fired up Christians get over the political situation. You know, you get a bunch of Christians together and they start talking about all the things these liberals are doing and they get all fired up and they get all angry. And as human beings and as Christians, most of us would have a very liberal, or a very liberal, would have a very conservative physically and socially approach towards life. That's pretty much normal. But the reality is that politics has no place in the church. Politics has no place in the heart of a believer. Just think if we were as riled up about evangelism as we were stating our political opinion. You know, when someone says something that's contrary to our political opinion, we're like, (laughs) we almost go into some kind of a weird catatonic state. And... But the reality is we can hear people say things that are contrary to the word of God and we're just, ah, ah, no big deal. We need to get riled up inside. We need to be evangelistic. We need to take the, the most of every opportunity. You know, I was very convicted about that and I was in, um, we, were, we were in Walmart, was it yesterday? Whenever it was, we were in Walmart and I was going through the line and there was this young girl checking me out. And she looked very sad. And I said, are you okay, honey? She just went like that, and tears started coming down her face. And I told her, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I promise I'll pray for you. I don't know her name. I don't know what her problem is. But I could tell her I would pray for her, and I did. But the point is, a little tiny seed is planted. And the only way you can you can open the soil up to plant a little tiny seed of God's love. The only way you can do it is in faith, believing the Lord. And, and so we have to understand every time we have opportunity, make the most of every opportunity. I'm not talking about, you know, walking down the street and saying, turn or burn, you heathen. That's going to drive more people away than drive them to the Lord. The reality is God has given us Good news. Isn't that what gospel means? God's given us the good news to share with others. Not the bad news. Going to hell, I I, I mean, really, I hope you agree with me. Going to hell is the bad news. I don't want to be telling people all the bad news. I want to tell them the good news. You can go to heaven. I think, honestly, many people in their own heart realize that uh, they're not right, you know, with the Lord. They're not right even in life. A lot of people know that. And so we need to offer them the hope of Jesus Christ. And the thing we have to understand, too, is that it's important for us, and especially for me, to teach the Word of God and to encourage each one of you to be led by the Spirit of God, who is our Consular. You know, uh, when it comes to a pastor um, being chosen, if you want to turn quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it lays out um, the requirements for a pastor. Let me just say something here, and uh, um, probably most of you won't understand it because you've never been in the military. A few of us would. But 
A pastor isn't like the commanding officer. I'm not like your captain or your major or your colonel. A pastor is more like a warrant officer. And some of you might be saying, what in the world is a warrant officer? Well, not all branches have a warrant officer position. But the Army, which I was in and which I was, has a warrant officer position. And here's what's weird about a warrant officer. It's really weird. And I was trained as a hospital administrator. So when I would be on active duty, whether it was my weekend or whether it was you know, my two weeks in summer, when I'm on active duty, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. That's why warrant officers are called Mr. They're not called by their actual rank. Or, or Mrs. Or Miss or whatever it is if you're female. But anyway... When I'm on duty, I'm in charge. I have authority over lieutenants, second lieutenants, first lieutenants, captains, and even majors, some majors. I have authority. I'm in charge. But the minute I walk out that door, I have to salute a second lieutenant. Because a warrant officer is given authority in the position that they're functioning in but as far as life, military life is concerned, when they walk out the door, they're the lowest officer rank there is. And I think that's the way a pastor is. When he's working in his position, he's in charge of delivering the word of God. But then when the pastor steps down behind the pulpit, he's just one of the people. Belongs to the people. So in First Thessalonians, or First Timothy, I like to fool you, I like to get you moving around a little bit. First Timothy chapter 3. And go to verse 1. That's the first verse of the chapter. Second Timothy, first Timothy. See, I'm trying to also get you messed up here. First Timothy chapter 3, go to verse 1. <clears throat> first Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is a faithful saying. I mean, what a way to start off. It's like, better pay attention to this. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, bishkopos is the word that is used there, which literally means overseer. It also can mean pastor or shepherd. And so it's talking about a pastor. You know, we use the term bishop as being hierarchy in the church, you know, and, 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 and that's not what it was ever meant to be. It just simply means a pastor. It means the overseer. Okay, um, if a man desires the position of a bishop, pastor, overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop must be... Now, that's what we call the affirmative tense in the Greek, must be, it's a requirement. In other words, these are the things a bishop is required to be. Blameless. Now, obviously, it's not talking about perfection, because no one's perfect but Jesus. But blameless, listen to this, the husband of one wife. The idea of celibacy is, is completely contrary to the word of God. These are called, First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon, they're called pastoral epistles. In other words, these are epistles that were written to pastors to give them direction in how to lead the church. <clears throat> so he's, he is to be the husband of one wife. Temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with reverence. Uh, I was going to make a joke for Frank's sake, but I won't right here. Uh, verse 5, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? 
not a novice, uh, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And that's why, personally, I, I think it's, it's such a wrong thing. You send someone to seminary and you think, well, they've graduated from seminary, therefore they're, you know, qualified. Well, number one, seminary is nowhere found in the Bible. It's just being instructed in the Word of God. The main thing is they have a calling from God. But the thing is, whoever is becoming the senior pastor of a church should be mature, should not be a novice, because then they get all puffed up. Oh, look at me. That's what it's telling us here. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Not just those in the church, but people that know him, or him outside the church. He should have a good testimony. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So it's not a small thing to receive a call from God to shepherd a people. It's not a small thing. And, um, but yet, like with Moses, all of our difficult things, we need to take to the Lord. We can't try to handle them on our own. I can give you advice. I can give you my opinion. But only God can give you direction, brothers and sisters. And that's the thing, you know, that we have to look at. That's the thing that we have to understand. That as I'm standing up here, hopefully expounding the word of God to you, it's your responsibility to do something with it. Can you imagine if I was a college professor and you were my students in a class and I'm giving you all this information and it was my responsibility that each one of you got an A? Man, I, I'd be out of my mind. I'd, I wouldn't have any free time. Every, I, I'd be with you know, this one and that one all the time. You've got to learn this, got to learn that. But if I'm a college professor and you're my students and I'm up here, I'm going to teach you with all my heart exactly you know, what the truth is according to our subject matter. But then it's up to you as a student to learn it and then eventually be able to apply it to whatever your life work is that you're being called to. And so that's the way it is as a pastor teaching the flock. I'm sharing you the truth of God's word. You've got to do something with it. My responsibility, it's quite a bit here. You know, what it's telling me that I need to do. And I'll be honest with you, I think not only myself, but any pastor, sometimes we struggle with life. You know, you think it's so easy for a pastor. Oh, he's, you know, our, our, our pastor probably never has an unholy thought in his mind. You know, he probably he never does anything wrong, and he's, well, he's close to God. No, no. I have the same struggles as every single one of you have. You know why? I have feet of clay. I'm a man, just like all of you are. When I use the word man, it's, it's mankind. Like in the Hebrew, it's ish, it means man, mankind. I'm a man just like you guys. And I have the same struggles. I have the same difficulties. I have the same shortcomings. And like you, there are things in my life that I have repented of over and over and over and over. And you know how many more times I should do it? I should repent over and over. That's what we call struggling with sin. And Scripture said you have not yet struggled unto death or the shedding of blood. In other words, life's... I don't know if you've noticed this. Life is a struggle. I mean, it's a real struggle. And it never gets easy. Well, pastor, when you get to be as old as you are, I mean, there's nothing that tempts you anymore. You're too old to think about it or do anything, you know. And that's well, not true. 
I mean, the same kinds of things. And so we have to understand that even when we come to communion, everything is a gift from God. Our life's a gift from God, right? The Word is a gift from God. Jesus is a gift from God, and Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. With Him, without Him, nothing was created. Jesus is God, and He's the Word of God, which is hard to understand. He's the Logos of God, and so His Word is a gift. And so we have to understand that as believers, we need to receive that gift and to do everything we possibly can with it. We have to struggle against sin for the purpose of being evangelistic. I mean, brothers and sisters, do you understand how few people are in church right now in the United States? In every time zone as it gets to their, you know, their church time, very few anymore. It used to be the churches were loaded. Now, I'm not saying it's your responsibility to save every single person's life, but to save, to lead someone to Christ. And uh, this is, a Vi read it years ago, and she was sharing it with someone this week. And there was some kind of like blue tide or red tide or green tide or purple tide or whatever it was. And a whole bunch of starfish, you know, came ashore. And, uh, I mean, the shore was just loaded with starfish. And this one guy's walking along, picking starfish up and throwing it back out into the sea before they died. Throwing him back. <clears throat> Another guy walked up to him and he goes, "What difference do you think you're going to make throwing one or two starfish in with all these starfish?" He said, "I'm, I'm making a difference to the ones I'm throwing back in." And so we might not be able to save everyone in the world. We and and we don't say that's a, a poor use of uh, of words. We don't save anybody. It's only Jesus Christ that saves. But we might not be able to lead the whole world to Christ, but we can lead someone to Christ. And leading someone to Christ is through prayer. You know, it's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like something, well, I'm just, I'm going to do it. You pray about it, and the Lord will give you opportunity because you have to have the opportunity and then step in it. And communion, when you think about it, and Jesus said, as often as you, you know, drink of this cup and eat of this bread, he said, do it in remembrance of me. What is it in remembrance of? He came to earth for one reason, to die for our sin, that we might be saved, we might be born again. And we have the responsibility of evangelism, of teaching that to unbelievers. Jesus Christ is real. He came to earth. He literally shed his blood. His body was literally beaten. And, you know, the condemnation that was due us, he took upon himself. He literally did that for us so that we can share it. And I love that Jesus said when he was sharing the Last Supper with his disciples, he said, I'm not going to personally share it with you again until I share it with you in the kingdom of heaven. Now, can you imagine? There's going to be one day. The marriage supper of the Lamb, you know, a lot of people don't read close enough. The marriage supper of the Lamb does not take place in heaven. A lot of people think we're going to go to heaven in the rapture and celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. It happens on earth. Read your revelation. And they come back to earth and they celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What are we going to be doing in heaven? Well, number one, we're going to be praising and rejoicing in the Lord. We're going to be part of that hallelujah chorus. But Jesus promised that he's going to share communion with us in heaven. Can you imagine when it's Jesus Christ standing there 
in his omnipotence and in his omnipresence and his omniscience, and he's sharing communion with all of us. It's going to be that giant communion table. I, I love that picture. Have you ever seen that Christian picture? And it's in heaven, and there's this giant communion table that goes on to infinity almost. How awesome is that going to be? But for us right now, he's given us this to remember him. And so when we take communion, we call it a sacrament because it's something that Jesus Christ instituted and commanded us to continue doing. That's a sacrament. And we take this sacrament as a reminder. And you know what it means, brothers and sisters, when you partake of this? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not perfect. I still have my struggles, but Jesus Christ paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had, you know that whole song, had made, painted a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. That's what communion is. And so as we're participating in this communion, communion this morning, remember how blessed and loved you are by Almighty God himself and how he, the third person of the triune nature of God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling within your heart. And we go to God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And as we're taking communion, the triune nature of God is involved in our worship. How awesome is it? Brothers, I once was lost, now I'm saved. I once was blind, and now I see. I once was destined for hell, and now I have the assurance of heaven all by the blood of Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, take and eat and drink and be so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for this sacrament, and I pray that you'd bless it to our heart and spirit and that we would recognize that we belong to you, the living God. We're no longer our own. We're bought with a price. We belong to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.